correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Hey, Gamer Nation, what's up? Welcome back to Me and Steve. We're here tonight. It's me and my buddy Steve. Hey, folks. Hey, and tonight we're going we're gonna to talk about something we haven't actually addressed yet, but before that, what's our podcast of the week this week, Steve? Podcast of the week is Tabletop Tales. Ooh, they're good. I like them. Yeah, I really liked it. They got a good show going on over there. Yeah, they've got the What Comes After campaign is now into, well, campaign two, actually, which is a a neat kind of post-apocalyptic New England setting. And I think they still have their Star Wars game going as well. Yeah, I'm thinking that Star Wars game's still going. That's a good one, too. Yeah, it has been very entertaining. So... If you're interested in checking them out, just uh, search Tabletop Tales on your podcatcher of choice or check out anchor.fm slash what comes after DAS. Yeah. No, what comes after ASDAS. Yes. What yeah. comes after. There'll be a link in the show notes. I don't know. Yeah. Just click the thing in the thing. Yes. There'll be a link in the show notes because that's much easier than trying to read website links when you haven't prepped <laughs> HTTP colon backslash backslash www dot anyways so we're talking about combat this week which is oddly something we haven't talked about before yeah yeah it's surprising I mean we've we've mentioned it a little bit but not kind of gone in depth on it and it's it's an interesting topic I think for gaming because Sometimes you have more narrative-focused games. Sometimes you have more combat-focused games. But, you know, in, in my podcast listening, etc., I came across some interesting takes on it, and so I thought, you know, maybe, hey, it's something worth talking about, so maybe we should have a conversation about it. Yeah. Well, it's something that if it's done right, and it's done really right, it's a lot of fun. If it's done wrong, it's boring as sin. And I think the the kicker to what you just said is that you can have the same game have both results depending on who's at the table. Right. Oh, exactly. And by that, I mean, you can run the same setup for two different tables and one of them will love it and the other one will hate it. Yeah, I I, I completely agree with that. You know, and, and I mean, some of that is, I mean, I guess broadly, there's there's two big ways to run combats. And that would be, you know, theater of the mind versus minis and maps and all that stuff. But I think it goes deeper than that. And, well, I'll just kick it off with with the the point that really made me think about this topic was I was listening to Ken and Robin talk about stuff, which (laughs) is just it's it's a wonderful podcast and will make you think about lots and lots of things. But they were talking about ways to spice up F-20 combat and F-20 being their term for. D&D, Pathfinder, basically all the D20-driven fantasy games out there. And one of them made the point that combat in those types of games, 
the only person who is constantly involved is the GM. Right. And that, you know, kind of made me, and, and essentially in saying that, you know, that's where I, I've heard a lot of criticism of D&D on this because, well, okay, it's my turn. Now I can go do something for 20 minutes till it's my turn again. And yet so many people, combat is the thing they fixate on in games, and yet they'll also complain that, well, it's not my turn, so I'm going to play on my phone, whatever. And, and I, you know, I, I don't know an answer to that, but it's just kind of an interesting thing where the thing you say you want is the thing that makes you check out in ways. Yeah, I, I understand both sides of that, though. So let me just go ahead and jump into this. I think part of part of that boredom and being like, oh, I'm just going to check out until it's my turn is on the fault of the system, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, I talk about this a lot, but I was on TikTok the other day and I saw somebody bring up an argument about oh, a bad DM is someone who doesn't, who doesn't shoot arrows or fire missiles at a monk who just got deflect missile. And I sort of disagree with that. And the reason I sort of disagree with that is because deflect missiles is only accurate if they're being fired directly at the monk. But why would it make sense for archers or a ranged attacker to be firing a missile at a target that is literally zip-zapping around the field? Like, at their core, monks should not be stationary most of their turn. Mm. And so... If you're watching a monk zip zap around a field, an archer is not going to be trying to track that target. They're going to be taking a target that's somebody easier, like the wizard who's stood in the same square for the past 10 turns. <laughs> and so in my opinion, I think deflect missiles, and this is just, just a thought in my mind, but I think it deflect missiles, what you should do is if you're standing next to the wizard and the wizard's the one being targeted, say you're one square over, so, you know, what are they? Five foot squares in, in most, yeah, yeah. most grid systems. So say you're one square over from that wizard, use your reaction and say, I step over and deflect the, the missile. Okay. That's a way to keep the person that has that ability. So the argument was, is that, oh, well, you're not letting the player that has that ability use it. Well, it's partially on the GM or DM, and it's partially on the player to set themselves up to use the ability, right? Mm -hmm. Put yourself in situations where you can use it. Put yourself in a place where you're literally stepping in front and going, I'm going to step in front of them and use deflect missile. Okay, cool. That's a really cool cinematic thing. And that's what heroic fantasy like Dungeons and Dragons does really well. Now, I, I'm just curious because, I mean, I, I'm familiar with the ability on the surface, but is it actually rules as written? You can use that to, no. so to speak, step in front of an attack? No, it is not. Okay. I wasn't sure, but. But that's, I, I, again, it's not, it's not rules as written, but thematically it makes sense. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. Like, thematically, the idea is that oh, well, you're just zip-zopping around the field and you just zip-zop in front of an arrow and go, woo, and throw it right back at them, like out of a kung fu movie. Right, right. Well, see, I think there's there's a thing, too, where, like, okay, and to take that a step further, why would any any combatant, if you just shot an arrow at someone and all of a sudden it came flying back at you, why the heck would you fire at that person again? 
exactly exactly but that's uh, that's also goes to my point of like most monks like monk speed is a thing mm-hmm. most monk builds are ridiculously fast so again why would somebody that's firing missiles be like ah oh, i'm going to target the thing that's running around the battlefield mm-hmm. right like i think we get our heads wrapped up in the fact that like dungeons and dragons is sort of well, old video games based it off of Dungeons and Dragons, where it's your turn, my turn, their turn, his turn, their turn, my turn, your turn, and everybody stops. You know what I mean? Right, right. And you lose that dynamic of every every piece is still moving, everybody's still doing things. Every, you know, the battlefield's a chaotic place, you know. It, yeah. it, you lose that sense of because time froze so i can take my turn you know you lose that sort of idea of like okay well time didn't actually freeze so i can take my turn sorry technical hiccup folks um but you lose some of the you lose some of the dynamics and and forget that it is supposed to be like when you're on a battlefield and and it talks about this in the books but you lose that sense because it is turn-based Combat takes what six seconds around. It's as written, yeah, yeah. So it's you know ten rounds in one minute. Like one minute's not a long period of time. Right, right. Well, I think that's, and this comes down to kind of the simulation emulation thing too. But yeah, like you said, a, a combat round is six seconds in Dungeons and Dragons, and most games are somewhere around that. You know, I think. Uh, Cyberpunk 2020 was three. Some games don't define it, like Genesis. Others yeah, say but... it's six to ten seconds. You know, it. And, and in in 2020, it's three, but you only get to do one thing. Right, but like you said, we've got this. The way we play it at the table, because that's kind of the way you almost have to, just for the human brain to grasp it. Well, so no, not everybody's talking over each other. Right. And you can't simultaneously resolve it all is that, yes, you know, Bob goes, then Sally goes, then I go, then you go, you know, whatever. And the thing that we're trying to to emulate or simulate, depending on what, you know, how you want to approach the game is this swirling. Everybody's moving around a little bit and swords are swinging and, you know, axes and whatever else. And it's like, you know, in in my head, I try to remind myself that the the single attack roll you get to make for that six seconds is not the only swing you have of your sword. It's more to represent in that time gap, you get, so to speak, one quality opening to actually strike a significant blow at your opponent. Right. And, and you know, I, I've been guilty of this myself and probably will be in the future that you know you describe your action is that one swing of the sword not this for lack of a better word this this bizarre deadly dance that's happening yeah and i think that's i i can't say that it's a a major fault on on the system but like genesis and i'll get into this genesis combat isn't great it's kind of slow it's kind of clunky it's i mean i love it but it it is kind of slow it can kind of drag at times but the dynamic initiative system mm-hmm. allows for more of a, a feeling of a, an active battlefield. 
Yeah, I think it also, by nature of that system working as it does with the slots, it also keeps everyone a little more tuned in as to what's going on because, well, maybe I should go next and I have to be paying attention to know if I can build off this thing or will be better if... Well, and it, it, let, it lets you set up fun things like, and I'll talk a little bit about this, our, our recent Genesis game, not... Well, not this week, but the week before, we had a whole combat session where we had a we had everybody had gotten a jump on this creature, so everybody got one free maneuver. Well, one of the players chose the maneuver to aim, so I had taken my turn. I charged in. I attempted to punch the thing. I missed, and so in my missing, I had gotten a, an advantage. So in my advantage, I just sort of said, "I make a grand gesture towards X player's character." sort of stepping back out of the way, knowing that they had aimed their gun at the thing that we were trying to shoot or trying to damage. And so they were able to go, okay, now it's my turn because Steve made this grand gesture towards me. You know what I mean? Right, right. And it, it, it set up, it sets up this nice dynamic flow of like, I do this and then you do that. And then the enemy's going to do this and then you're going to do that. You know, it it feels more, I don't know, whole table interactive. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Yeah, it feels like the whole table's engaged. Yes, more than than you know your your. I don't want to say standard, but D and D style combat. Yeah, and and yet it's still turn based, which basically just makes it. What do you want to say? Able to be parsed and played as a game, as opposed to. You know, like, yeah, okay, in in a video game where you've got a computer processing all these inputs simultaneously, it can do that. Yeah, yeah, you can you can view multiple things and look at all these different directions, and yeah. But, but yeah, you, you, we can't do that sitting around a table with pens and paper or even playing online. It just doesn't... It doesn't quite work out that way. Yeah, and that's just part of how games work i don't think it's a fault it's just we can't all, all tell a story literally simultaneously right and i'm not i'm not really trying to dog on D. i think one of the things that actually does really well is its combat it's a very good combat game i think it's a it's a little bit more of people lose the forest through the trees when they're running combat yeah well i think you know, then maybe do we want to talk or, you know, think of some ways maybe to, to kind of spice it up if you are running a game that's that's got a, a, a more structured combat. I mean, you know, like, and, and these are things that I think you could apply to to a Genesis or, or you know, whatever other. I think the big thing, and, and this is a big thing with D&D, is that reactions, unless stated, are not a given thing. Mm-hmm. But I think you should have, I think, that's one of the house rules that I sort of run that I've stolen from critical role because critical role does this. They, they do reactions. They do like in reaction to that, I'm going to try and do this. Oh, you mean they actually use their reaction, right? Which at its core fifth edition, unless you have a skill that says it's a reaction, you're not, you don't get a reactionary turn. Mm Hmm. There is no reaction turn unless you get a skill like dodge. You know what I mean? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So you're saying that they, 
because I haven't I haven't listened to them since they started campaign three. Just because well, I mean, even to go it. to campaign two. Yeah, they, there are things where like I'll use my reaction to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's not necessarily just dodge. It's not necessarily just this or that or the other thing. It's it's using your reaction to do a skill that creatively, creatively, correct. Okay, I see what you're saying, and I think that keeps that can keep you more engaged because if you're just standing there and taking damage, you're going to be bored out of your mind. You know, you're just like, oh, I don't have any option. I just got to stand here and eat this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's, you know what, maybe that's part of it, right? Is you maybe need to just to, to spice it up a little bit to kind of, I don't want to say break the rules or even throw them out, but, but get a little creative with them. Like you said, have a, a reaction, you know, be it you you let that monk for the reaction reach in front of the person standing next to them to deflect an arrow or something. I mean, right. But I think some of it too is is like I think sometimes and and this is going to depend a lot on your table and your preferred play style. You focus so much on it's combat that means I have to do the most damage I can. Oh yeah, that's a trap. I know we all fall into at times. Yeah, you you lose some of your. Well, some of you lose a lot of role playing in combat. And that's why I try to do things that like I I don't always do the right move or I'm always thinking of how my character would react or what my character would do in this way or the other. Mm -hmm. It's just like, what would my character do to, like I said, with the with the situation we were in with Genesis? my character missed completely. Like it was zero success and an advantage. Mm-hmm. Like, and so it's like, well, I'm not going to hit the guy, but my character would do this grand gesture as a way of being like, all right, well, that was me. Here's somebody else. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And sometimes I think remembering to role play is, is the fun part. You know, it, it, I've been watching the the Legend of Vox Machina and it's reminding me of that campaign one of Critical Role and Percy just doing things out of pure vengeance is mm-hmm. is fantastic. Like it it's a it's a character role playing it's a character role playing during a combat. Like mm-hmm. well and see this is too and I, I won't point the finger exclusively at, at players in this either. Because somewhere, a lot of people get the idea that in combat, it's as the GM, you're you're trying to kill or at least inflict damage upon the players, and and the players are trying to kill the bad guy. But I think sometimes, you know, do you maybe spice it up by, be it you know, if if you've got a table that that has a lot of more tactical players, do you start you know using tactics with your your bad guys and and moving. And, you know, you know, like you said, you have the archers. Oh, where's the wizard? Okay, yeah, we're going to, you know, pop off from behind a tree, shoot at the wizard and, and pop back in or whatever. You know, that kind of thing. And I think so many times, I, I know I've seen it at tables I've played at with, with numerous different people where, like, combat starts and you basically all line up in the middle of the room and just swing swords till someone falls down. Yeah, I've seen that too. I've been in those. I've played like that. It's it's the Congo line of doom. <laughs> I like that line, the Congo line of doom. <laughs> no, that was the 
that was back in that was back in fourth edition. That was a fun thing you could do with rogues back in fourth edition. You could do the conga line of doom because what you could do is if you say had two rogues on your team, you could do this effectively. You would as long as your rogue was was near another player, they could get the flanking bonus, right? Mm-hmm. So it would be like enemy player rogue enemy player rogue like it was this lineup of just how you would line up the enemies and the players and everything and you would you would obviously play to get them into that position but it was it did it became the conga line of doom it was like all right you're gonna do your you're gonna do your flanking backstab and then you're gonna fall back to the end of the line and then you're gonna do your flanking backstab and you're gonna fall back to the end of the line okay i see what yeah yeah yeah, because there was that weird thing with movement and stuff involved in, in flanking and three, five, and fourth. and Yeah. It's not dogging on them. It's just a fact of how those were played. Right, right. No, and and see, that's the thing is, I think so many times, because maybe it's because there's that, that perception that combat drags, we don't role-play combat because we think that's time that's just going to make it longer. And I wonder if you do take the time to role play combat, even if it does make it chronologically longer, does it feel shorter because you're paying attention to what's happening? You know, if you're not the one doing it, you're, you're listening to this person describe this thing they're doing and then going, Oh, well, you know, then I can do this thing to kind of feed off what they did, you know, and, and maybe, well, I'm not going to actually get an attack, but, you know, I'm going to pick up this base and chuck it across the room at the bad guy to distract him. And then that gets into the whole thing of, well, is there a mechanical effect to that? Well, not in most systems. I think, you know, Genesis handles that well. With maybe you do that by, you know, an advantage and it passes a boost die or something like that. But yeah, like, I don't know. Like you said, it, it just, I don't, like I said, I don't know the answer to this, but it seems like just lining up and slogging it out reduces it to math and I don't play RPGs for math. Mm, I agree. I, I agree and disagree. I like, I don't know. Some of the fun is the numbers. We all like seeing big numbers. That's the other thing, right? Like there's that satisfaction of, uh, Oh, I rolled a 27 to hit. That feels good. You get a big number on your damage roll. feels good. I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's, different mindsets in gaming and and you know some players are skill-based where they prefer oh well you know maybe i didn't roll a big number but i was able to outwit the enemy that i'm attacking Mm -hmm. and some people want to roll the big number and and big number shiny and nice well i think going off of that though i think people are hesitant to do things that there isn't a statistical judgment for it in combat situations, but I think some of that maybe also is is fed by the fact that most of the time it ends up being a fight to the death. I think sometimes what the problem really boils down to, and I'll just say this, and I'm I'm making a bold statement here, but I think the problem really boils down to people are afraid to do things that aren't listed in the book. Mm-hmm. And rather than being like, ah, let's try it anyways. So 
All right, here's a perfect example of this. Remember when we we first tried Genesis and we were both like, I don't know what I can do mm-hmm. because we had both come off of fifth edition and been like, oh yeah, or or cyberpunk even and been like, I have a defined set of skills. I know exactly what I can do. Mm-hmm. And Genesis doesn't like they do. You have your talents and yeah, there's some of those you can use in combat and such, but your Genesis talents aren't like swing the sword. Right. So you sort of get in this situation where you're like, I don't know, uh, what can I do? And yeah, GM, you know, first time player is going to walk you through. Well, you have a lot of options. You can do what, you know, what you think is thematically correct. But I think some of the time people are afraid to be like, you know what? The book doesn't say I can do this, but I'm just going to do it anyways and see if the GM will work with me or try and describe a thing that you're trying to do and then be like, how can we make this work? Well, in most cases, and I think this is this is something we get caught up in the rules a lot of the time, and and especially in combat, you know, combat rules are like, oh, yeah, you would think a lot of the time combat rules are the Bible. And it's like, well, I want to I want to try and like throw that trash can lid at him and distract him. And I don't really care if I do any damage. It's more of just, I want to get his eyes on me and off my friend. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no, like, in in Dungeons and Dragons, if we're throwing lids off of barrels, there's no rules. I guess, you know, you you have rules for, like, improvised weapon, but you explicitly said you don't want to do any damage. You're just trying to distract. So now you're sort of going, I guess make me a, I guess make me a dexterity check and, you can't be afraid to be like, I'm going to flip this mattress over and distract the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that Steve. comes, <laughs> that was in Genesis, not D and D. I know, but it's still <laughs> the same idea. What talent did you use to flip mattress? I don't know of any flip mattress talent. <laughs> I think I argued for athletics. I don't I'm pretty, remember. I don't remember what you argued for, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I think, Two, this is a thing where if you're running the game, be open to doing this with your players and maybe even do it a little bit to try and prompt them with your NPCs. You know, have, like you said, if it's a fantasy game, maybe there's this goblin in the corner that's just, you know, chucking rotten chicken eggs at at somebody. You know what I mean? Like, it's not doing damage, but have it have some sort of effect. Disadvantage seems extreme to me, but... Maybe not. I don't know. You're distracted. Distracted. Exactly. You're distracted. That's that's exactly what disadvantage is. Is like you're looking the wrong direction and something is coming at you. And 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 maybe you know, like I said, if you do that with your with your bad guys, if you're the the GM, maybe that can spur your players to go, "Oh, that's fun. Let's do some of that too." And I think, and, and I'm gonna kind of probably make a hard left turn here but i think the other thing is maybe don't always make the fight like i said a minute ago to the death maybe it's it's something and and this was a point that i thought was really really neat we were talking with pacing with justin ecock where he was talking about the the giant fight he has that one adventure he just runs it till he wants it to be over yeah you know he's not actually tracking the hit points maybe you know think of your fight as a as so to speak, a timer, you want to get it to achieve this certain balance point, And then it ends because they all just up and run away or, you know, whatever, 
you know, if you think about it, most of the time, who really wants to stay in a fight until you lose permanently? No, you're going to try and get away. Now, D&D, then you have the attack of opportunity mechanics and all that other stuff. But I think one of the things that people forget about is I've heard a lot of arguments recently, people talking about, oh, when is it okay to just run? Yes. The answer is yes. It's okay to run at any point. Mm -hmm. If you feel you can't win a combat, it's okay. Yeah. And, and see, this is where sometimes I think we get too caught up in mechanics, right? Because at that point, then it comes down to the chase rules, which in D and D are a pain in the ass. And the speed thing makes it virtually impossible to have a meaningful chase. If you're just doing it turn-based, uh, mechanically D and D's chase rules are basically, I don't want to say useless, but the hindrance that keeps people from running. Yeah. D and D's chase rules. I mean, mechanically, they don't really do much because everyone's speed is more or less the same or in, in a group context, it, it is almost definitely going to be the same. So I think at that point, maybe this is where you have to, or I think it's more interesting. I shouldn't say have to, I think it's more interesting if maybe you bend the rules and, and maybe you don't literally drop out of initiative, but maybe you go to like some sort of like a skill challenge thing and, and, and you take some of your effects more narrative you know maybe you know your your one of your casters uses like the gust can trip to to slow the guy down in in front or knock him off balance so maybe he trip you know what i mean like yeah technically i think that that will move excuse me i think technically that spell will move somebody five feet well yeah that's not really interesting to me it's it's the same thing to so to speak knock him down as it would be to move him five feet give or take in, in in this context anyway, right? So maybe you knock him down and that's a, a way that you get a little bit further away from the, the whole crew because now they're climbing over the guy that was first in line or, or, or whatever, you know, maybe, like I said, you don't technically break out of initiative, but break out of that hyper structured thing because that structure is, while it makes it equitable on the, on the combat grid, it's not fun to, you know, it, it's just not fun if you're trying to do a chase that way or anything like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I like, you know, if you've got two characters moving 30 feet and here again, we go back to that, that turn argument that, well, you go 30 feet and then he goes 30 feet. And so you're alternating between 10 and 40 feet apart, depending on who goes first unless something happens and one of you loses a turn and then, you know, da, 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 da. Well, that's, I don't know that to me, that's boring. It is boring. It, 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 I don't know. Um, you know, I think the skill challenge concept from, well, I think that originally started in maybe in fourth edition, but I know it's, it's used heavily by a lot of people in the Genesis system. We've all, you know, those that listen to critical role or watch it, Mercer uses it quite a bit. I think that's a, a kind of a great, what do you want to say, breakup mechanic to use, you know, if if your group wants to make a more narrative move kind of immediately out of a combat. And I think that's the thing is maybe maybe we should just stop treating combat as such a sacred cow. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I, I think part of the problem is, is that 
I hear a lot of people go, well, you know, just don't be afraid to run from a combat. But the fact of the matter is, is that like fifth edition, it's really hard to it's really, really hard to wipe a, a party in combat. Mm-hmm. And so you get into a situation where it's like, oh, I'm going to I'm we're going to run from this combat. But like full well knowing that the paladin at any point has access. Well, not at any point, but the paladin at a certain point has access to any number of bring you back spells or healings readily available or, you know, it's just this, these things that like, I just can't, I don't understand, you know, you want to encourage people to run, but at the same time, you're sort of like, well, here's all these things to stay and fight. And I think that's a fault with the system. Well, because like in Genesis, if you're way over your head, running is an option and there's no penalty to do that. But in, in, in fifth edition running is not an option and and well running is an option but there is a major penalty to do that yeah yeah i and i understand the why of it from a simulationist aspect because if you turn to run the other person you know you're so to speak giving up that defensive side of the the dance we mentioned before right so that is going to give the person who the other person involved with you that the other person you're fighting with an opening to get a quality swing at you for lack of a better way to say it. So I understand why the rule is there. I don't know. It's, it's, it's like this weird thing where the rules are getting in the way of the story. And to me, the story should trump the rules, but I know not everybody feels that way. Yeah. But you know, like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of strange. Kind of strange is right. It's it's a hard thing to quantify. Yeah, I think that's that's the key of it, right? You know, and and like, look, there's a zillion ways. You know, I think the biggest thing to make it more interesting is is figure out ways to keep the people whose whose turn it is not currently involved somehow. Be that you know adapting the the Genesis uh, slot initiative system to any other system. Yeah. Which I just wanted to briefly explain that if we've got anyone listening that, that hasn't checked out Genesis, the way it works. And well, it's the same one that's used in the FFG star Wars, but when you go to start combat, everyone rolls initiative and that just determines based on whether it was a PC or an NPC who, who rolled the given number, any one of either category can take any one of those action slots you know, just because the rogue rolled the highest doesn't mean he has to go first, but he could. But if the cleric needs to heal someone, he could take that that slot or or vice versa or any sort of and it changes every round. You know, you don't re-roll, but anyone you know, your character could go first one round and last the next. Yeah. What I was gonna say is I think one of the ways to keep players engaged in combat outside of their turn is and this isn't always possible but have your big bad talk to your players like even when it's not their turn like if it's if it's after he's taken a hit after you know after they've taken a hit after they've taken damage whatever they're fighting let it be like a like a conversation you know well okay just for example i don't know why this popped into my head but the the clifftop duel scene in the princess bride 
right. all the banter that goes up back and forth between those two during that scene. And look, I'm not going to hold that up as an example of a great fight scene or a great dialogue or a great movie, but it's beautiful. In the if you think of it as an RPG session played out in film. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you got to sort of keep the keep the flow and the banter and the fun going and and keeping your players engaged during combat is really important because that's where most of the players are going to sit. They're going to play on their phone and you're going to have the like you're going to have the power gamers that are super invested and want to make sure that they do exactly the right move. But, you know, your narrative players are going to sit there and be like, I don't care. Whatever happens. Did we win? We won. Oh, good. Well, I think this is too, though, where, you know, when in, this got touched on in last week's episode, we we're talking with Dustin about whether you use maps or not. Don't be afraid. You know, you and I have played together. You know how many times I'll ask an off the wall question about, well, is there this in the room? Right. And it's not that the thing that I'm asking about is ridiculous. No, it's a realistic thing you want in the room. It's just you want to know if it's there or not, if the GM says it's there or not. And so many times the response that you'll hear at a table is, I don't know, it doesn't really say in the book. Who gives a crap what the book says? Just give me a yes or no. <laughs> like, and, you know, that this goes both ways, right? You know, add silly little things to the room, be it, you know, there's a busted up chair in this corner of the room and... You know, maybe it doesn't show on the map, whatever. Don't, don't, I mean, maybe if your group wants to play really super tap tactical with maps and grid and everything else, yeah, you want to build that room to represent exactly the playground that they're playing in. Yeah. But I think it's more fun if you let your players have that license to say, well, hey, is there a busted up chair in the corner of this room in this old dungeon that we're in? or busted up table, whatever, just, you know, I mean, cause most of the time they are, they have an idea of something that they think is cool. They want to do. And basically all they're asking you for is the ingredients to make the fun with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, for lack of a better way to say it, I mean, make all the fun you can just, I think my thing is always, my thing is always, and I'll say this, we talk about yes and, but it should be no, but. Okay. Mm -hmm. If, if you ask, is there a chair in this room? And I go, no, but there is a chandelier. Okay. All right. I can work with that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Is there right. a chair in this room? Yes. And it's all busted down. Oh, cool. I need a chair leg. Right. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it's, it's yes. And, and no, but, and, and, and I think that's something, I think that's something that we just get. Like I, said, I I wonder if some of it is were because we think that or maybe it's because we all kind of dread that point in the game when we're waiting for it to be our turn. Mm -hmm. We try to get through our turn quickly, you know, as like an empathetic thing of we don't want everyone else waiting. Well, it's our turn. And right. don't take this the wrong way, because I think it's good practice to try and be prepared for your turn so that, you know, you're not spending 10 minutes looking through something to look up this specific spell or, you know, whatever. 
But I think if we remember to role play while we're having combat, it's probably going to make the game more fun for everybody in, in net. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think remembering to role play during combat is going to make combat more entertaining for the people who aren't interested in it. And it's going to make combat more entertaining for the people who are deep into it. Yeah, because I think even if you're introducing these narrative elements that, you know, like you said, a chair or a chandelier or whatever, now some of these these you know, the more tactical players, they're going to try and figure out a way to use that as a tactical advantage. Right. And yeah, it's just like stuff like that. I don't know. I've also been, you know, for me, it's always been kind of those things where I've always tried to do something different, right? Like I remember first D&D game I ever played was an old Dark Sun campaign, the original Dark Sun modules. And I was playing my character, and it was actually a character I took over from someone. I didn't make the character myself. It was what they called a, a, a mule gladiator, which was this, well, really not too far off of what's now a Goliath in 5th edition, but big muscle-bound specialty fighter, we'll call it. Right. And, and you know, you know this, but back in the days of 2nd edition, there were weapon proficiencies weapon proficiencies were a big thing. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that my character was this mule gladiator, which, you know, was like a pit fighter, but as a class feature, they were automatically proficient with all weapons, including improvised. So I was constantly doing less than normal things. Like the one time we got attacked by this, like, um, I think they were called bog monsters or something. And they were like in this mud hole that was out in the middle of some desert somehow, or I don't know. Mm-hmm. But they're, you know, they've got all these spines coming out of them. And so my DM tells me, oh, this thing clamps onto your leg. And it's like kind of basically bear hugging your leg and trying to get, you know, work its spines that are, you know, like on its chest and its arms into your leg. And I'm like, well, okay. I said, well, does it have spines coming out the side of his head? And he kind of looks at me and goes, well, sure, I guess so. I said, okay. So, you know, my turn, I'm like, can I just like corkscrew his head using the spines as handles? And he kind of looked at me and, you know, like you say, it was one of those, he goes, well, yeah, I don't see why not. (laughs) You know, that's like you said, that's kind of the yes and whatever, because, okay, yes, I was asking that question with full intent of, well, if it has handles, I'm going to twist it. But it also stands to reason, would this creature have that? You know what I mean? Right. You know, otherwise, what am I going to try and do? Pummel it with my hands? You can't really swing a sword at your own leg. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that, in my mind, that relates somehow. I'm just not sure exactly where I was going. Got lost in my own story. Uh, thematic combat. Yeah, yeah. So, like, and at the same time, you know, if you think of it in the context, if you're watching a movie or reading a book, and this thing grabs onto the you know, the protagonist's leg, well, trying, you know, and, and, and character was extremely strong. So that's kind of a thing that, you know, in my mind, like I could see that happening in like a Conan movie, right? Right. Just, just felt right in the moment. And my DM went with it. And I think, you know, that's the stuff that, well, okay. See, I would have been, um, maybe 19 when that happened mm-hmm. and I still remember it. So, <laughs> Yeah, it stuck with me. I think that's half the point, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, keeping keeping combat thematic is a big thing to keep combat entertaining. I it just is. And and I think a lot of people forget 
that's why people get bored during combat is because it's like, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, swing the sword and uh, I'm going to make my attack and I move on from there. And hopefully this will be over in a round or two and not having a conversation or doing shenanigans. I think that's another thing is that shenanigans need to happen in combat, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, you want to do fun, silly things, do fun, silly things in combat, out of combat, before combat, after combat, you know, when when appropriate. But like, do goofy things in combat. What's the difference? What What's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to lose? Okay. What What's that mean? What does it mean to lose a combat? And is losing a... Yeah, is that a bad thing? It, it, like, maybe that changes the story dynamic. Maybe that makes it a min- more interesting thing, you know? Right. That's, like, to be like, oh, we're going to lose combat because of you. Well, no. No, I did a fun thing, you know? Yeah, well, see... To me, and and again, I won't say that this is the the right way to play, but to me, the win state for a game is when I leave the table at the end of the night and I had a good time. Yes. And that I say that as a player and as a GM, not only did I have a good time, but did the, the people that are playing with me have a good time. Yeah. My best stories come out of everybody losing their mind at the table. And walking away going, oh, man, that's a fantastic game. Like, that was so much fun. I, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, yeah, I mean, heck, some of my best gaming stories, my, my fondest gaming memories are from basically wipes. Yeah. Because stuff just went sideways. And every time you turned it, the hole you were trying to fit in it turned too. <laughs> you're, uh, uh, you're. Talking about the Delta Green one shot? No. The, um. Home Alone one shot you ran. Oh, okay. That was basically a comedy of errors. Like everybody was botching roles that night. Mm-hmm. And but it, it, and it turned out so fun. Well, that's you know what? That's the other thing I did in that, and you were there. I made up the splitting kobold thing on the spot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Y'all seem to have a good time with it though. Oh, it was a blast. It was a blast. But yeah, it's it's the you know, sometimes doing the wrong thing in combat is fine. Do it, please. Because does it make sense for your character? If the answer is yes, then then do it. Now, that's not saying always, but most of the time, if that's the case, then go for it. In combat, what's the difference? Like I said, what are you going to do? Lose combat? Like, so you have a party wipe and a whole excuse to make a new character and to tell a different story and... and to have more fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes maybe, you know, all of us are a little too precious with our characters. And I'm not saying it's wrong to not want your character to die. Well, I think about it this way. Think about Morkborg, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's sort of the point of Morkborg is like, all right, well, um, everybody's going to die. We're going to make new characters. We're going to do this again and see what happens. We're going to tell a different story or we're going to, you know, continue on the path of the world is ending and there's nothing you can do that could ever stop that. And and that's the fun of Morkborg. Like it's dark and gritty and grim, but it's everybody walks out having a good time because there's no there's consequence, but there's no consequence. Yeah. 
and and I think sometimes in Dungeons and Dragons we need to remember that yeah, there's consequences for failing, but at the end of the day, maybe your party wasn't the party to do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, maybe that leaves you up to tell a story later on that's like, all right, well, we're gonna try and do this again, but this time, you know, everybody's gonna be like super skeptical because the last group of people really botched this. Like <laughs> they dropped the ball hard. Well, and then, you know, maybe do you you continue the same story, but you make a new band of characters that goes out looking for where these wandering heroes went off to. Right. Right. Where did all right, your job is to find where our hired guns went to. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, maybe you I mean you know this already, but still you could try and finish the job. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm just throwing that out there, not saying that it's the right solution every time, but yeah, there's just there's fun things you can do when you fail. Mm-hmm. Heck, half the time failure is more interesting than success. I like to see it sometimes more than success. Success means that we're doing, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Success means it went as you planned it. Yeah. Failure means we got to make some stuff up. We got to make new plans. <laughs> but all right. Well, I think I think that was a very productive conversation around combat. I think so too. And I think it's time for game of the week. Ooh, game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. All right. You going first or am I going first? You want to go first? Oh, I can. A or B, Steve? Uh, B, Steve. All right. So my game of the week this week is going to be one that's actually, and I know we've got some listeners with kids, this is actually a game designed for kids. It's from Atlas Games, and it is called Magical Kitties Save the Day. (laughs) You are cute. You are cunning. You are fierce. You are magical kitties, and it's time to save the day. Every kitty has a human. Every human has a problem. And in this game, you use your magical powers to solve your human's problems. And so this is a game actually completely designed for kids as young as six, and it is designed to be able to be run by kids, heavily focused on storytelling. I believe all the dice rolls are player-facing. It's actually currently in its second edition as well. And Atlas Games isn't a huge publisher, but you should be able to find them in a lot of places. You can obviously get the PDF on DriveThruRPG. It's about 15 bucks, but it's got some kind of... The artwork looks kind of, I don't know, you know, kid obviously kid oriented right but like i don't know what media to say it references but i can i can see a style to it that i recognize yeah i can get behind that well my game is not kid friendly um my game is called red giant okay and it's a tabletop role playing game influenced but not limited to anime and manga such as vampire hunter d berserk claymore and it, it aims to create various themes, dynamics, and scenarios seen in these type of media. So it's supposed to be a bleak and sort of dark, empty world. And it's a it's a flavor I haven't really seen in tabletop games in a while. It It is, like I said, a bleak game, so very much like... A lot of the taglines are like, you cannot save the world and and telling stories of like, nobody knows how the red giant came to be, but some people believe it to be an act of God. Some believe it due to ancient technology. 
but no matter how <clears throat> this planet became cursed, you know, it's, it's this, like I said, just the artwork is, is black and white with a little bit of red and it's just a lot of emptiness, a lot of bleakness, a lot of giants. It's so neat. I would say there's a interesting base on the pages that they're showing in the listing. And like you said, I think that's intentional because it, it creates that feel. Right. It's supposed to feel empty. And um, it's, it's definitely an interesting, definitely interesting and definitely something to check out. If you like that type of, like I said, Vampire Hunter D or Berserk, where it's very bleak media, very anime, uh, very manga. But yeah, it's so cool. I've had this on my radar and I was like, well, I can't think of a game. And then I was like, well, Red Giant's been on my radar. So cool. Yeah. And with that, we want to thank everybody for listening. As always, links to everything are in the show notes. Patreon, me and Steve talk RPGs at patreon.com. And that's linked in the show notes. Yeah. And we will remind you to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Thanks for listening. Take care, y'all. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Now recording. Oh, my God. There's 16 of them now. <laughs> Just two. I heard four different now recordings like we plan things like no we don't plan <laughs> shit around here <laughs> i had it backwards it was it was almost istanbul again <laughs> that's nobody's business but the turks yeah i think it is actually istanbul right now i don't i don't know why i know that yeah there was talk that it was gonna be there was talk of changing it back to constantinople <laughs> okay and I was like, why? <laughs> and I got the response of it's nobody's business but the Turks. I'm like, I guess. <laughs> All right. I'm ready to go whenever you are.